Welcome to What's Not Priced In, a weekly investor podcast by Fattail Investment Research. In a world of confusion and rapid change, experts Kirill Prakopenka and Greg Canavan look behind the headlines to unveil the hidden opportunities within the Australian stock market. Now, let's dive into today's episode. What an episode we have for you this week, filled with lots of stock analysis and hard-earned wisdom. Today, where it says the winners and losers of the reporting season so far. We profile Coles, Woolies, Altium, Wisetech, Car Sales, Data3 and Hub24. Even Domino's gets a mention, the tech stock disguised as a pizza merchant. Or is it a pizza merchant disguised as a tech stock? Anyway, we then turn to one of the most important questions of them all, when to sell stocks. Using his recent sell decisions as examples, Greg takes us through the sell process. In investing, as in life, it's okay to be wrong, not to stay wrong. Hello and welcome back to the now the 14th episode of What's Not Priced In. As always, I'm Kirill Prakopenka and joining me is the one and only Greg Canavan. Greg, how are you? The one and only. Yeah. Getting getting too big for our boots at episode 14. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, well, I think uh, this is a pretty interesting episode. I think uh, people quite enjoy it. We're going to talk about quite a few things. Obviously, we're in the, um, the heat of the reporting season, so we're going to look at some big winners and big losers. And we're also going to uh, actually look at, uh, discuss basically when and how to to sell stocks. And that was a, came from a suggestion from one of, one of our listeners. So thanks for that. And obviously, we do read your comments. We appreciate them. So if you do have any suggestions for what you would want us to discuss, please leave a leave a comment. Uh, but with that said, I think um, the theme of this, this uh, episode is earnings and earnings expectations. So sometimes I'd like to read out a quote. I have one again today, and this is a short one, thankfully. So here it goes. The ability to properly read market expectations and anticipate revisions of these expectations is the springboard for superior returns, long-term returns above an appropriate benchmark. Stock prices express the collective expectations of investors and changes in these expectations determine your investment success. And that was from a, a book that was aptly titled Expectations Investing. So there you have it. Well, uh, did you want a response? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't know if I heard the first bit right. I'm not sure if I would 100% agree. Um, mm-hmm. And and it comes back to there are always different ways that you can earn uh, excess returns yep. in the market. Um, trying to understand what expectations are is, to me, is really, really difficult. And I don't know yeah. how often you can do that. And the stocks that we're going to look at today are a good reflection of how, not necessarily difficult, but how tricky that that can be and and I think if there's any uh, one theme to point out about this reporting season is that if results have come in slightly better than expected and you're mm-hmm. seeing upward revisions to earnings per share estimates even if they're very minor then you're going to see a good uh, uh, share price reaction mm-hmm. no matter what the sort of valuation was that preceded that announcement whereas if there are Earnings have disappointed in any way, which is going to flow mm-hmm. through to EPS downgrades in the future years. Then that share price is going to fall in the immediate aftermath of that result, mm-hmm. no matter how much bad news was sort of priced in before that came out. So you're seeing a lot of really uh, short term um, money moving in and out of these positions. And whether that's mm-hmm. 
to do with nervous capital, not wanting to be involved in any type of company that's showing weakness to the 30th of June on the expectation that the economy is going to be weaker moving into the, sec- uh, the, the third and fourth quarter of the year and really paying up for earnings certainty. And I think that's the, that's the key. Investors are paying, uh, to me, quite high price for earnings certainty and mm-hmm. they're discounting earnings uncertainty, which I think that's where you're going to see the opportunity. So whether that discounting of earnings uncertainty continues for the next mm-hmm. few months and it quite possibly could uh, but I think if you're if you're patient and willing to uh, I guess wait and just see how some of these moves post earnings season uh, play out uh, you know I think there's going to be some really good long-term buying opportunities but quite clearly capital is is nervous of any type of disappointment and mm-hmm. and gravitating towards those upside earning surprises because it's it's a way that capital can hide at least for the time being while they while it works out where it, what it wants to do yeah, and I think um, before this, I just shared some uh, some price moves in retail stocks versus tech stocks. Uh, but then you sort of uh, made made the good point, which you sort of just already touched on before, which is that um, it comes back to earnings hits and misses, and it's really not necessarily about one sex- sector over another. It's more that investors are paying for certainty and up discounting uncertainty. And so, obviously, with retail stocks, it's still quite uncertain as to the health of the Aussie consumer. And I think uh, I think we had some results. Adairs released its results and was punished quite heavily. Kogan released its results this week, also got punished quite heavily on, on the day. And I think uh, as we speak, LaVisa also, LaVisa, LaVisa, I never know how to pronounce it. It also, um, <laughs> it also reported results and it was at one point down 10%. I think now it's down about five. So there's definitely... Um, uncertainty about where the retail stocks are going in the next 12 months and clearly investors are responding uh, appropriately. Yeah, but then you look at, um, you know, and, and I would say that you know, some of those stocks, I mean, Levi's is very different. I think it's a high quality yep. stock with a good growth profile. But if you look at Adairs and, and Kogan, they've had histories of, of disappointment. So I'd pr- mm-hmm. probably put them on the lower quality end of the spectrum. And then you've got companies like Nick Scarly, JB Hi-Fi mm-hmm. that have reported and um, uh, super cheap um, that have done you know pretty pretty well uh, in in terms of the delivery of the the numbers and the the market has has rewarded that. So it really comes down to individual uh, yeah. company performance uh, and outlook and how they're doing. And I would mm-hmm. point out that we're, they're talking about earnings to the thirtieth of June, and mm-hmm. we haven't got uh, economic data out for the for the final quarter of the financial year yet but just off the top of my head I remember the first quarter nominal growth in the Aussie economy was was up quite close to double digits so there there is momentum for that financial year and it's probably slowing into the fourth quarter mm-hmm. and it's certainly going to slow into FY24 so for me it comes down to uh, how what that transition is from very high nominal growth which benefits a lot of companies obviously mm-hmm. It, it doesn't benefit others in, in terms of higher costs and things like that as well. But some companies get a really good kick from high uh, nominal economic growth. Uh, but mm-hmm. we, I think we're moving back into a slower growth environment. So you really want to be careful about the type of stocks that you latch onto immediately yeah. post earning season. Because I, uh, I think, you know, what we've seen in the year to FY, sorry, the FY23 financial year is probably going to be very different to what we're going to experience in, in FY24. 
Yeah. And now I think we would, this is a nice segue into the actual stocks themselves. So I think obviously a lot of big heavyweights have reported and maybe we would start with the uh, the negative surprises, any stocks that obviously caught your attention in by how negative their results were and how the market responded. I think one of them is obviously WiseTech. Maybe we'd start with that. Yeah, look, we can do that. Um, I think, you know, you mentioned before that there were many good results from the mm-hmm. the IT sector and and that's because it's a growth sector right like there's a lot of yeah. a lot of growth uh, coming in there and it also comes down to what the expectations were going into that result so for wisetech uh, I wrote down a couple of numbers here and post the I think it I mean correct me if I'm wrong I think the share price fell around 20% on the day uh, of the announcement and post that uh Earnings announcement, EPS downgrades for FY24 have come out and they've been downgraded by 18.5%. So that's quite a hefty downgrade yeah. for uh, a, a stock of that size and of that sort of growth profile. But when you look at WiseTech, it's still, even though its, it's share price is pulled back, it's still on a uh, PE of 88 times uh, FY24 earnings. Um, currently, it's only generating a return on equity of 13.2%. So I know it's not, you know, it's probably not in full maturity, mm-hmm. full profitability mode. But even if I um, am reasonably generous and 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 put a twenty percent return on equity uh, expectation on that, uh, it's reinvesting eighty percent of its earnings. So mm-hmm. it's it's generating quite a decent compound uh, rate of yep. return on that. I come up with a valuation of around forty bucks. So clearly the market is, and this is this is how valuations work for tech companies and we've yeah. said before on this I'm not the sort of person to be asking about how to value tech companies yeah. and I don't think the valuation model that I use is particularly good if you want to latch on to those longer term growth stories so uh, but even so this is I guess the the risk with investing in these mm. type of companies any type of disappointment is going to be really yeah. harshly dealt with and then you have to come out and try to convince the market that your growth premium and the growth story is still intact. So at the moment, uh, I think WiseTech has probably gotten off reasonably lightly, even though mm-hmm. it was a sharp share price fall after the announcement. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's still it's still looking, even when you assume higher rates of, of profitability, it's still looking pretty stretched in terms of valuation. So, um, and, and this is why I just really struggle to... Yeah. To, to buy into these these types of stories and look I've, you know quite clearly it's done well like it's 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 been a really good performer over over many years um, but you've 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 got to really understand the business really know what its long-term growth drivers are and be happy to accept the volatility that comes with that yeah and I think uh, obviously one comment is that with with high embedded expectations there is a risk that the higher the expectations the higher the disappointment when those expectations aren't met Absolutely. And stocks like that that are operating on really high multiples, obviously there's a massive expectation of growth. And when that doesn't eventuate, the market gets disappointed. And I, and I think you sort of said that you sort of struggle with your valuation model to appraise those types of stocks. But I, can, I guess the question is, is there actually a model to value those growth stocks or do, do people just uh, expand the multiple? Well, I'm sure. I'm sure there is. You know, if you put in certain, if if you have certain assumptions about long-term growth, um, you can, you know, the the inputs you can put whatever you want in to get whatever 
number you want at the end of it. Um, and it really comes down to, I think, a very focused understanding of what the business does and what its potential growth is. And there are some really good analysts out there who know how to do that. Uh, I'm just not one of them. Well, I, I think you're still a, still a great value analyst, Greg. <laughs> Thanks, Carol. <laughs> means a lot to me. <laughs> well, I think um, from WiseSec, maybe we can move on to another one I think that you want to talk about was data. Data three, data hash three. Da- data three, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's a it's been a long uh, a long running tech company mm-hmm. in the Aussie market. A really really good quality company. Uh, we had it in our, um, I guess, alliance client portfolio mm-hmm. uh, earlier this year, and it had run up quite considerably. It was up around the seven dollar plus mark, and I looked at the, I looked at the valuation, and this is probably part of the conversation that we'll have down the track. In you know. When, when do you take mm-hmm. profits? When do you sell based on valuation grounds? And there's no real easy answer for it. And sometimes you get it right and sometimes you get it wrong. But with Data3, I looked at the valuation and what was particularly interesting with it is that it had a growth multiple on it. It was like at the time, I think it was a, a PE ratio of over 30, 30 mm-hmm. times, yet its payout ratio was 90%. So it was only reinvesting 10% yeah. of its profits. And, and that's why it had a good divi yield as well as being on a high uh, PE. And I think it was just priced by the market because it was such a reliable, such a solid Mm. company. And the earnings have nearly always delivered that the market was saying, well, okay, we're prepared to pay for that. And when I looked at the the, uh, valuation and, and the rally that we had enjoyed in that stock, I just thought, well, what's the risk and reward at this point? Mm. You you are getting a bit of risk because a lot of good news has been priced in. And where's the next level of upside going to come? And and yeah. I just didn't really see it, so we took took our profits and and sold that one. And it came out recently uh, with a I guess a less than uh, worse than expected result, and uh, its share price fell quite sharply on the day. It did bounce the next mm-hmm. day, but you know um, on the on the day it came out, uh, the share price fell quite sharply. EPS expectations post that announcement, they're down 8%. So not a huge downward revision, but it's, it's decent for FY24. Still trades on a, a PE of 26 times, uh, but it is very profitable. It's got a, a solid, consistent return on equity of plus 50%. Mm-hmm. Um, in the next three years, the forecast around 57%. So it's a very capital efficient company. But as I said, it's paying out 90% of yeah. those earnings as a dividend. So it's not reinvesting and it's not growing a great deal. But the company has got a growth multiple attached to it, and I think that's the that's the risk, right? So, if I look at, if I just assume the valuation on those metrics using an eight percent discount rate, I come up with five dollars sixty as a uh, as a intrin- estimate of intrinsic value, and it's currently trading, I think, a bit over six bucks. So again, uh, going into that result, it obviously had pretty high expectations priced in. Any disappointment, it's going to be harshly dealt with. Yeah. And I think um, now maybe we could discuss uh, the two contrasting tales of the big supermarket chains, Coles and Woolies. Obviously, Coles released its results earlier this week, and on the day, I think it, I think it ended the day when it released results down seven percent, and it was sort of flirting with its fifty-two week low. So, for a stock of its stature, and it, it's quite a big move. Uh, yep. And I think both the revenue and profit undershot consensus forecasts, which, um, and I use the market screener to compile those forecasts. So, uh, what do you make? And I think 
this thing sort of said it stood out to me was its net income margin for full year twenty three was two point seven percent, although it did report a return on capital about sixteen point five percent, which was slightly better than last year. Yeah, I think it, again it comes down to the expectations yep. going going into the result, and I've um, I hope you can see I've got a chart yep. up of the uh, Coles share price here. Clearly, this wasn't expected. That has just fallen yeah. very, very sharply. And for a stock of this size, that's quite a quite a big yeah. move. What I look at with um, these companies is their earnings and uh, I, I guess sorry, their revenue and their operational earnings growth, and also their earnings uh, earnings margin. So EBIT, EBIT margin. So for Coles, you had a revenue growth of five point nine percent, which was which was pretty decent. You had EBIT growth of 3.8%, but the real problem, I guess, was a uh, contraction of their EBIT margins of uh, 19 basis points, which is pretty hefty, down to 4.6%. And as a result of that, on the back of that, uh, EPS forecast for FY24 were downgraded by 9.4%. The thing is with, and so again, you know, theme of what we've been talking about if you come out and disappoint and that results in earnings downgrades your share price is is going to be you know quite yeah. um, heavily punished and the fact that going into this result uh Coles was on a pretty uh i guess stretched valuation uh yeah. that's where the, the the punishment has come in so i i've just did a, a quick valuation on it based on uh, a 30 percent return on equity um expectation and an 80 20 dividend payout ratio, so it pays out 80% uh, in divvies and reinvests 20%. And uh, the valuation comes up at around $15.40. So it's it's trading a little bit above that, but certainly a lot closer to that than what it was uh, previously. But um, it just goes to show that especially with these larger, well, when I say larger companies, Coles and Woolies are very much margin companies. They're huge volumes. And little differences in margins on those huge volumes can make big differences in in profitability. So, if you compare it to Woolworths, Woolworths uh, had a actually slightly lower revenue result. Their revenues are up five point seven percent, but their earnings are up fifteen point eight percent, and their um, EBIT margin was up forty three basis points to four point eight percent. So now their EBIT margins are, are a little bit better than Coles, whereas going into it, they were probably slightly worse than Coles. So. Uh, there hasn't been any changes to the FY24 um, mm-hmm. FY24 expectations, and that's reflected. I'll just move on to Coles's. So, sorry, Woolworths. Yep. Woolworths share price actually fell um, going yep. into this result, and then it's had a bounce when the numbers have come out. But again, uh, based on uh, the, the the numbers that I've got for my valuation, twenty eight percent return on equity. Uh, pays out 70% of that has a uh, dividend. So it's got a slightly higher growth component mm-hmm. than Coles. And I get a valuation of around about 35 bucks using 8% as a discount rate. So it's 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 bounced up to around 37, but around here, you know, it's probably not not particularly bad value. And considering that, you know, these are companies operating, yes, it's competitive competitive environment, mm-hmm. but it's effectively a duopoly, yeah. uh, very reliable earnings. And as long as they're well managed, uh, you know, getting an eight percent, if you can buy this at a at a roughly eight percent uh discount rate, um, you know, that that's a reasonably good uh good invet good longer term investment. Um but again, 
Coles slightly disappointed and saw an earnings downgrade. So its share price really, really tanked, as you said, down to nearly um, well, probably more than 52-week lows. What are we back here was sort of uh, January of 2022. Mm. So it did fall uh, quite quite considerably. Uh, Woolworths fell into that result, has bounced a little bit. Can't see it rallying too much uh, anytime mm-hmm. soon. Um, and that may be on the expectation that uh, I think these companies have probably benefited and profited quite well from their from the inflationary environment, even though they've obviously got cost inflation that's going to hurt yep. them. Um, you know, they've been able to pass those costs on and especially in the case of Woolworths, they've had a 15, nearly 16% increase in, in EBIT, um, which would indicate that they have done very well in, in managing those costs and, and pricing in above that. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And I think with what I'm noticing sort of recently is that um, the the stocks that are sort of maybe missing expectations are really getting downgraded quite heavily. And I think we're almost in a general uh, downgrade cycle. And I think you've mentioned this weeks before in a different episode where you were sort of saying you are, it, the biggest opportunities will sort of come once the market sort of realizes things aren't really as great. The optimism for future growth sort of wanes a little bit and analysts sort of start then to downgrade their EPS forecasts, which I think is sort of now happening this week yeah. and the week prior. Yeah, well, you're seeing it a lot. Like if you just do a, a quick look at the market and see on each day the biggest movers and the big, well, the biggest movers to the upside mm-hmm. and the biggest movers to the downside, they're all companies that have reported. And that's obvious we're in, in reporting season. Uh, but there's probably, uh, wait and see what the wash up is at the end of reporting season. But my guess is that the disappointments are, are, are running, you know, considerably above the, uh, the, the ones that have outperformed. So, uh, and to me, that's just a reflection of the slowing mm. growth environment. As I said, we've gone from very high inflationary, high nominal growth uh, environment to something that's a lot, a lot slower. Um, you know, uh, again, talking about the US, we talk about all the time the lagged impact of monetary mm. policy that is still having an effect, and it will have an effect into the second half of this year, and probably even more so. I read a interesting report from i think it was the san francisco fed yeah. on their blog and they were uh they did an analysis of the excess savings that were uh, accumulated mm-hmm. post covid from all the fiscal stimulus over there and their uh best estimates are that those surplus savings will run out by the end of th- end of this quarter so by the end of september effectively the us mm-hmm. consumers going to run down um their excess savings so these are all I guess things that have allowed or enabled, especially on the consumer side, and you know, one thing that surprised me a lot has been this resiliency of uh, the consumer, and you're yeah. seeing that in the quality consumer stocks. They're, they're reporting still not bad results; they're still yeah. uh, decent. Um, JB Hi-Fi's results were pretty good, even though the good guys, mm-hmm. you know, was 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 almost I think non-existent the growth in, in terms of that franchise, but. Um, there, you know, people are still spending out there. Qantas came out with a, a yeah. big result today, which was largely within expectations, but it just goes to show people are spending, people are paying for travel, uh, all those sorts of things. And that a lot of that has come from running down of excess savings. Mm-hmm. So the question is, 
where does the spending come from once those savings have run down? I don't know what the data is in Australia so much. There was some interesting stuff, and maybe I'll, I'll dig it out and we can look at it next week. There was some interesting stuff from the RBA showing uh, offset accounts and how yeah. offs- the 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 um, the balances in offset accounts are starting to come down post. Yeah, we mentioned uh, that at the last episode. Yeah. yeah, right. Okay, so. Um, I'm not sure if we showed the chart. Though. I might have. I might have went and had a look for a graph after that. So we might. Yeah, the, um, we don't have the chart. The chart would be good. Yeah. So we'll bring we we will bring that in if if I remember. A week's a long time, so I'll probably forget. But uh, if we remember, we'll, we'll we'll have a look at that and and maybe dig into that topic a little bit more next week. Yeah, but now maybe to more rosier news and some obviously yes. there's there's stocks that underperform, but there were obviously stocks that uh, performed above expectations, and I think. Uh, why don't we start with uh, Altium, a tech stock that sort of rose quite quite a lot on, on the release of its results. Let's do it. And I'll just bring up the chart um, yep. so we can sort of see what the, yep. the market's um, response was and a big gap up there. So it's done, yep. done very well. Um, but even saying that, the 24 EPS uh, expectations were increased well, I say only eight percent. Eight percent is pretty pretty decent, but it's mm. not as if it was a a double digit uh, increase. So it's obviously beaten expectations and resulted in an increase in uh, FY twenty four forecasts by eight percent. But okay, so this goes back to my point um, that the market is looking for certainty yeah. at I would say at a at a, almost a high cost. So if you look at Altium, it's now on a PE of forty eight times twenty twenty four earnings. 39 times 2025 earnings. Um, it's got a pretty good uh, return on equity of 30%, um, but it's got a 70% payout ratio. So it's only yeah. reinvesting 30%. So it shouldn't be on a huge growth multiple. Um, now, I don't know the details of the company well enough to, to say whether that's justified, but as a general comment, I would say that is an expensive price to pay for earnings, certainly. And I think it's a maybe it's an indication that capital is just parking itself there until it works out what else to do. That would be my, um, you know, my short-term in- interpretation of that. Yeah, yeah. And I think maybe then you also wanted to mention car sales. Car sales yeah, well, so we'll just go through the other two um, that I've got here. So we can do car sales first. Mm-hmm. That's another one, uh, you know, a, a very well-known solid company um, mm-hmm. that has done particularly well and on the back of those um, results had spiked up again, um, but even so, the EPS forecast post those results or the EPS um, increase in in earnings uh, was only three point seven five percent for FY twenty four. So it was a beat, but it wasn't like a um, it, it didn't result in in you know big up, upgrades. And for twenty twenty four, it trades on thirty three times. Mm-hmm earnings and for 25 it trades on 29 times earnings and it's only got a return on equity of 12 percent and it's got an 80 percent payout ratio so i would say it's it's got the profitability of a mature company Mm -hmm. um now there's there may be there may be more to come there's obviously growth it obviously has a potential for more of a global growth platform mm-hmm. than say a mature company with just an Aussie market. So that plays into it. But at 80% payout, you're only reinvesting 20% of your earnings, which doesn't give you a particularly big growth multiple, mm-hmm. yet it's trading at 33 times. So again, yep. um, what price are investors willing to pay for the earnings certainty? And quite clearly they're willing to pay up. 
and it's the same with uh, Hub24. Uh, again, you see a spike here, post the results um, up to uh, the highest price since, what are we back here? This was uh, late 21. So this is yeah. back in the, the heady days of, uh, of, of stock market. So it's really sort of rallied up to that point strongly. Um, its results resulted in uh, EPS upgrades of 6.3% for 2024. But that puts it on a, a PE multiple of 46 times mm -hmm. 2024 earnings and 33 times 2025 earnings. It does have more of a growth profile. It, it pays out around 55% of its profits, meaning it reinvests 45% into the business. And it's got an ROE um, uh, profile of 14%, of mm -hmm. moving up to about 17% over the next couple of years. Um so, so it is. It is growing profitability. It is growing, uh, but again, you know, you're paying hefty price for that at, at 46 times 24 and 33 times 25 earnings, which mm. may be justified. Not saying it's not. It's just that if there are any hiccups along the road when you when you're paying at that price, you're gonna, uh, yeah, you're gonna copper copper beating if you're on the wrong side of that um, announcement. Yeah. yeah. And I think one interesting uh, result that sort of surprised me was the the pizza merchant Domino's. And we talked about Domino's, I think, in one of the very first episodes. But it actually closed maybe 10% higher on the day of its results, even though net profit fell about 74% to $40.6 So if you use that uh, full-year profit figure, it's uh, trading a trailing P ratio of over 100 so it's, it's trading like a tech stock, even though it sells pepperoni pizzas. So it's a, it's. Well, but, but it, it sells them via an app. So it's exactly. a tech, tech pizza stock. Okay. I actually don't mind Domino's. I think it's great business. Um, again, um, because it does have those multiples priced mm. in it's it's hard to, for me, it's hard to determine, uh, you know, what's a fair price to pay. Uh, there is, you know, potentially big growth platform from its international yeah. operations. But that's a big source of risk as well. If there's any disappointments on that front, I didn't look at the details closely. Um, was it? I think there was an announcement about some cost outs that 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 uh, surprised the market, and that was the reason behind the uh, behind the rally. I think there there was a conference call as well, and I think they're going to cut costs. They're going to cut some jobs, and I think they did see what was it a material sales and earnings improvement in the first few weeks of full year twenty four. So I think the market maybe looked ahead in the next 12 months rather than looking back and sort of thought, okay, this, this might turn around because it's yeah, obviously been a bit bitten down over the last 12 months. So Yeah. I mean, keep in mind, I, I'm not sure what the, the peak share price was, but it's fallen significantly yep. over the past 12 months. So, um, and that's always a sign to say, well, okay, there's a lot of bad news priced in. Um, but again, it's, it's what price you want to pay uh, to get that, to get that future growth and you need to know the business and the mm -hmm. uh the risks quite well um and i think the one thing is the one positive with Domino's is it's it's run it's a it's a really well-run business mm -hmm. um it's demonstrated that it can move into offshore markets not everything has been successful but mm -hmm. uh it, it has delivered growth over many years it did get a massive COVID bump so i think Trying to work out what's a sustainable rate mm. of growth in a in a relatively normal world is probably a tricky one as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it it goes to show that after a stock has fallen considerably, that is sometimes a good hunting ground to see 
whether the the market has overly uh, yep. sold it. Um, for me, the other question would be, based on those surprise announcements like that, to what extent is that short covering uh, yep. pushing that price higher? Because sometimes stocks like Domino's can be a favourite of short sellers. They might sort of buy into it mm. uh, pre the announcement on the expectation that, yes, those earnings have fallen and, and there might not be some good news to, to push it up again. So when there are some surprise announcements like that, you can get some short covering um, in the short term. So that's why it's good to wait for the dust to settle sometimes mm. and just work out where the where the sort of real longer-term investors are setting, mm. setting the price. Um, because at the end of the day, and we mentioned this last week, not everyone thinks like you when when they're investing. They might be uh, in for a short time. Uh, they might be nervous about further weakness, so they're getting out for the time being. Mm. Um, not everyone's a long term investor, and you, you you need to sort of look at charts and and look at the fundamentals and, mm. and try to get a picture of where the market is putting that and whether you think that's a, a good opportunity short term or whether there's still too many risks there. Yeah. Well, if you can use a pizza analogy, not everyone likes the same pizza. Some people like pineapple, some people like margaritas. I like uh, anchovies and I don't understand why people don't put anchovies yeah. on their pizza. I think well, I'll, yeah, my Napolitana is my favorite pizza. Just add some jalapenos, but uh, we're getting... Oh, yeah, it's got to have chili. <laughs> I, wouldn't, <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't say jalapenos. I, I'd say that for my Mexican, but yeah. uh, chili flakes for sure. Yeah, chili flakes or chili oil. That's a good one. Both. <laughs> All right. Well, now uh, maybe we can move on to the topic of when and how to sell stocks. I think you were asked by one of the one of the listeners to do sort of a segment on this. So um, take it away. Yeah. Look, um, George sent a tweet. Um, sorry, I think it was George. My apologies if that's if that's wrong. But I'm pretty sure it was George. And uh, I thought you know it's a good it's a good topic and one that um, I'm always trying to get better yeah. at you're never going to get them all right. Like you're yep. always going to sell too early, keeps going up, you sell at the bottom, then it goes up <laughs> or you buy what you think is the bottom and then it keeps going down. Like there's always those yep. stories that that mess with you. And that comes down, comes back to the fact that investing is a very, uh, can be a very an emotional, uh, mm. emotional game. And the, uh, as much as possible, you got to try and remove emotion, yeah. remove any type of uh, uh, connecting your personal worth mm. to you know whether you got a call right or not, because you're never going to get them all right, and yeah. you can't um, you you can't think that that's going to happen because yeah. you just there's going to be always always issues. But there are a few. I thought it was a good question because there's a couple of stocks that um. I've done well this year and there's a mm. couple of stocks that I've had a bit of a shocker on. And I think it's important when you're giving these examples to give real examples of mm. decisions you made, you know, in real time. Uh, so you can then have a look and see whether they worked out or whether it was a bit of a bit of a disaster. Mm. So um, we'll start with, uh, which one? We'll start with um, Telstra yep. because it was a, stock that I'd had in the portfolio for some time, uh, initially recommended it back in 2018. Mm -hmm. So it was a tough, um, it was late eight, late 2018, I think somewhere around here after it sort of rallied from this sharp low. Mm -hmm. um, so we'd gone through a, a fair bit of a, a roller coaster ride with it because it looked like it was taking off. And then obviously with the, the COVID uh, mm -hmm. crash 
all the way back down here, but then it started to trend higher and it's sort of done, done quite nicely. But in, at the end of uh, March this year, so I think it was around, it was around 420. The price, mm -hmm. the, the stock price was around 420 when I recommended a sell. And the reason I recommended a sell, and this goes to George's point, he asked um, something along the lines of how do you know when to sell from a fundamental perspective? Yep. Uh, versus, a, say, a technical perspective. So he, at this point, technically, Telstra is in a nice uptrend. Uh, and if you're just looking at the charts, you're going to say, I'm going to keep investing mm. in this and see how far it goes because the trend can keep keep running. And that is a really, um, you know, a sound strategy. Uh, but I've found in the last, say, 12 to 18 months that trends, that the market doesn't trend and stocks don't trend as well as they did previously. So mm. we're in more of a mean reverting market, which means yep. stock prices can do really well. Then they might mean revert back to a decent valuation level. So, so I find that just relying on the charts is a lot trickier in this yep. environment and you really need to look at your valuations and say, okay, well, what's being priced in here uh, versus what risk am I taking, et cetera, et cetera. So yep. when I looked at Telstra, uh, earlier this year, I said to myself, well, the general market has gone down considerably throughout 2022. Yes, it's bounced into 2023, uh, but Telstra had outperformed the general market for mm -hmm. some time. And that was telling me that the investors were putting a high price on defensive allocation, defensive stocks. And when I did the valuation on it, it was really stretched in terms mm -hmm. of the valuation. Now, even though Telstra has really good free cash flows, uh, it's got you know really solid uh, assets. It's got a very dominant mobile division. Yeah. Uh, it also at that point had infrastructure that it was going to spin out and potentially become more capital efficient by doing so. Mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of that was clearly priced in because the market had been moving up for some time. Uh, the Dividend yield wasn't particular. I think it was around four point something percent. It wasn't particularly um, attractive given that uh, market rates had moved mm -hmm. up. So I just thought, okay, Telstra's outperformed for some time. The market itself uh, has underperformed the stock. The stock's mm -hmm. pretty expensive. Let's take some profits and move on to something else uh, purely because the risk and reward yep. at these levels wasn't too good. So that was, uh, when was that? That was late, late March, so around here, 4, 420. So after that time, uh, I watched Telstra continue to go up for a few months. Um, I had it in my super fund. I had it in my dad's yep. super fund as well. And at this point, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I should have kept following the charts because, um, you know, it's continued to trend yep. higher. And, I, and at the time, I was, I was reading reasonably bullish uh, articles on it and as much as you say to yourself, well, I'm a contrarian and when I see bullish articles, I think that's a that's a good sign, it was also, uh, you know, making me think, oh, maybe I've, I've yeah. pushed the sell button too early here. Um, but it turns out that around this time, the market obviously got wind of, of something in the result. And when Telstra reported last week, share price fell quite sharply. Now, whether that's a vindication of, of my selling um, earlier this year or not, who knows, you know, there could be a rally back up to this level. Mm. But in answer to the question, it was really just a sense of uh, defensives had become quite expensive relative to the market uh, and the share price itself had a lot of good news already priced in. Mm. So I thought, you know, 
let's just take some money off the table. We've made 50% on it over the, over the recent years, um, plus a good divvy. Uh, it was just time to, you know, take some profits because yep. I couldn't see a lot more upside with it. So my guess is that this Telstra will probably struggle for a little while now. Um, I just don't know what, you know, where the catalyst is to send this higher. Uh, when you get a sharp break like this as well, it, it very it does happen sometimes, but it's more mm-hmm. difficult for a, a share price to sort of rally back into where it used to be mm-hmm. unless there's a, a market-wide uh, reason for a general market mm-hmm. sell-off that pushes everything down. But what you're seeing at the moment is very much individual stock moves. And if you look at um, – I'll just quickly bring this up to give uh, a sense of what I mean. When you look at the index itself, you know, it's, it's yep. sold off a little bit recently, but it's still just – uh, consolidating within this longer term, longer term band. So all the moves that you're seeing in the market are very much stock related rather than market related. Um, so to me, you know, I, if I probably would be wary of being in Telstra at this mm-hmm. point purely because of that that sharp break there. Another stock that I sold around the same time uh, as Telstra, I think it was early April, was it? Um, I can't remember where we sold this one. It might have been because it was it was high seven dollar. I think it was early April. So this is um, Chorus Limited, which is a uh, I guess a broadband uh, owner mm-hmm. of inf- broadband infrastructure, fiber infrastructure in New Zealand. Yeah. Same uh, principle as Telstra. Hadn't owned it for as long. I think it only owned it um, bought it in twenty twenty two. But again, it had outperformed the market. Defensive assets had become uh, put a premium on. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought at this price, I, w- I, I just couldn't see where the, the upside was, yeah. even though if you look at these moving averages, even though the chart was suggesting that the trend was still moving higher, uh, I just thought, well, I'm not sure where more upside comes from. You know, yeah. economies are clearly slowing, so there's going to be potentially some uh, revenue and earnings pressure coming yeah. up. Uh, and and the market wasn't priced for that at all. Maybe that's being borne out now. You're seeing, you know, it's gone sideways a little bit. It's tried to rally again recently. Uh, I haven't even seen its results, to be honest, but um, I'm assuming this is results uh, driven and you've seen a pretty sharp correction here. It's a good company. It's good, you know, it's got good cash flows, uh, all those sorts of things, but I think it's susceptible to any type mm-hmm. of slowdown and, and I think the New Zealand economy is probably doing it a bit tougher than the Aussie economy. So uh, for that reason, uh, you know, that's probably why you're seeing this this sharp drawdown here. Two other stocks that I sold more recently uh, and the sort of jury's out of whether I've done that at the right time. IAG uh, mm-hmm. bought that um, bought that back in May, I think 2022 um, around, around this region. So I had to go through some doing nothing for some time before it sort of, you know, really got going. Uh, sold this uh, a month or two ago at around the 580 level, I think it was, maybe 585. Mm-hmm. Uh, continued to rally, but now it's sort of correcting a little bit, way too early to tell whether it was a good call or not. But again, uh, to answer George's question, it was sold on purely on valuation grounds. It had reached my estimate of, of value. And the other thing I thought about was that, you know, it was the sweet spot for insurers, and look, that sweet yeah. spot could continue for another twelve months. I really, I really don't know. But there was a lot of bullish uh, commentary around the insurers. There was a lot of um, money flowing into the insurers purely because of their pricing power and all that sort of stuff. 
and when it got to where I thought was a fair value, I just thought, well, again, I'm not sure yeah. where the continued upside comes from. There's more risk in owning it here than there was down here. Mm. Um, so, you know, maybe it's just time to take some take some money off the table. Too early to tell whether that's a good call or not. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see on that. Mm-hmm. The other one uh, that I recommended a sell on uh, quite clearly too early at this point was James Hardy. Bought this in, I think it was February this year. So mm-hmm. it might have been around this this correction period from memory. Uh, might have been down here somewhere. It was certainly in the low 30s. Um, had a really good rally. Quickly rallied up to where, um, sorry, around this level here. And this rallied up to where my estimate of value was. Again, um, I thought that the home builders had probably got a bit ahead of themselves given the, yep. the risks in the in the US economy. So I didn't really want to hang around and see where this trend took us. I thought, you know, from a valuation perspective, mm. uh, it's it's more than, you know, decent value, oh, sorry, uh, more than a, above my estimate of value. So I thought I'd take some profits, sold off into its result, result came yeah. out better than expected, surged up here. So, and they're the moments where you feel like a bit of a clown because you've sold, you know, <laughs> two weeks before a good, uh, number comes out and sends the yeah. share price soaring, but the market struggled to follow through with that and was seen a bit of a sell-off here. Still looks like a really strong trend, so it does look like I'm a bit of a clown from a short-term perspective. Uh, but you know, we we banked a pretty pretty decent gain on that um, in a short space of time, so you can't can't get too sort of worried about that. And as I said, you're never going to pick the top, you're never going to pick the bottom, mm-hmm. so um, there's no point worrying about it too much. Uh, but let me move on to one where I guess um, it's a bit more obvious that I was a clown, <laughs> uh, is GUD. So I recommended this to my subscribers, uh, I think from memory, uh, potentially on this pullback here. Um, I was looking at it, doing some work on it around here. It surged and that might have been its half yearly result that came out in February, surged off the back of that. I thought I'd wait for a pullback, which I did. And it rallied up, which was quite nice. And then it started to break, you know, break mm-hmm. down here again. And at this line of support, which was the breakout level, even though, and this is where you sort of, you know, you got to try and juggle the competing stories between the fundamentals and the technical. So yep. fundamentally, GUD was cheap. And I thought mm-hmm. it's a really well run company. And I thought it's considerably below my estimate of value around here. But when it broke down, and it broke down quite sharply here, I thought, hang on a sec, maybe those assumptions are too optimistic. Maybe there's mm-hmm. something going on with the business. And this is where charts can mess with your head a little bit because then yeah. you start telling yourself a different story. So this breakdown uh, was a red flag for me. Uh, I think I sold it literally on the bounce before it got back above it. Um, so really about here, booked about a 10% loss think on the uh on on the actual trade and as you can see literally it has not gone back down to that level and then the it's it's full year announcement came out last week and uh it's done very nicely so uh george you don't get them all right mate and um and that's just the way it works you know that but that's frustrating because in this market you really want to try to make sure the stocks that you are picking are the ones that are going up and not to get shaken out and it just goes to show that I think sometimes you probably need to give yourself a bit more wiggle room on the uh, on the on the technical side rather mm. than getting 
too caught up with uh, almost cliched levels of support and resistance and quite possibly this was just a bunch of people who look at the charts and don't look at the fundamentals of the business yeah. panicking. Uh, and unfortunately, I got caught up in in that sort of concern. And around that time, I guess the other thing to consider is that, you know, when that's happening, you obviously don't know what's going to happen yeah. here. So we sort of squeeze past here and you're sort of looking at a, mm-hmm. at a, at a chart that's breaking down and, and at the time it, there's probably a lot of nervousness in the market. I think there was a general sell-off around this time as well. So you sort of tr- you, you you're in a little bit in in capital protection mode, um, as you can see these moving averages were about to cross back down, which is a sign mm. that this early upward trend was was turning over and giving way. And you think and that happens a lot. Like you know just because these moving averages cross here to the upside doesn't mean they keep mm. going. You often get uh, get thrown dummies. But I probably should have given more weight to the the fundamental story. Um, mm. So yeah, that was one that I got wrong, and I thought I'd finish off on AWC because this is one that's in the portfolio at the moment, and I'm not 100 percent sure what. It's not I'm not 100 percent sure what to do. I'm, I guess I'm grappling with the yep. technicals versus the fundamental story because the fundamental story, as it stands at the moment, is pretty well matched up with the mm-hmm. the technical story. Uh, AWC Illumina is having problem problems getting permitting to access its uh, high quality bauxite mines in WA to feed the refi- feed the refinery. So it's mm-hmm. and and you know Illumina prices aren't particularly strong. We're seeing commodity prices across the board pretty weak. So a bit of a perfect storm hitting Illumina at the moment. And then on top of that, you've got rising energy costs um, in Australia from. Uh, you know, from from across the board, and, and mm-hmm. they've got very energy intensive operations. So, lots of lots of issues that AWC are grappling with. And I think that the thing is, what you should try to do as an investor here. And I've been in this um, stock for uh, I'm not 100 percent sure. I think might have bought into this. This has not been a, a particularly pleasing investment for me. I can't remember whether. <laughs> I bought into this, sold out, bought back in yeah. again, um, but we're down around about thirty percent on this. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not quite that bad, but you know, it's it's not. It hasn't worked out particularly well. From memory, we might have bought in when these um, moving averages crossed back up here, and it looked like there was a really long term support here that it sort of bounced off. I think we got got in around about here, so it's done. And then it's gone back down and it's really sort of dropped. And so technically I'd look at that and say, okay, it's broken support. That's not a good sign. And fundamentally, even though it can't get much worse, it's not looking particularly good and there's no mm-hmm. sort of near-term catalysts. And if I, But then I look at the RSI, which is the, uh, the momentum indicator on the downside, and that is hugely oversold. So what I don't want to do is sell it at a point where it's massively yep. oversold because the uh, the odds suggest you're going to get a bounce from here. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to get a bounce and a change of trend, but it does mean that there might be better opportunities to get out if you did want yep. to sell. But I'd be sort of probably more inclined to hold on if you do get a nice bounce back above this level of support because it's sort of an indication that the market's rejected that uh, rejected that break lower 
uh, and it's and it's moved back in into this range. And look, it's got Illumina has got world class assets. It's mm-hmm. got um, uh, you know a very solid position in the global Illumina uh, aluminium supply chain. So it's not as if you're looking at a poor quality company here. There's just mm-hmm. a lot of external uh, issues that it's grappling with at the moment. Um, yeah. And so to to Guess, I guess go back to, to George's point about what you do in these situations. Um, yeah, it's it's it can be a tricky one. Um, you know, I is, probably, is that your answer? It's it's, it's tricky, George. <laughs> they're always tricky. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's what that's what the job is. You try to yeah. you try to work it out. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I suppose what I'm saying is it, it's not always as easy as just mm. saying stocks undervalued, buy it; stocks overvalued, sell it; or chart looks good, buy it; chart looks bad sell it you've got to try to understand what the company does what situation it's in what you know this could just be a lot of investors who have been in it for quite some time and especially Mm. if you consider you know all this period then investors have just got fed up and they've just gone look i'm out of here i've been sitting around waiting for this uh rebound um, for a while and it's just not happening and i think if there's any sort of useful comment I can make, you've got to come to each decision on a stock like you don't own it, like there's no Mm. emotional attachment to it. Because if you're selling a stock because you're bored slash fed up slash impatient of waiting for a turnaround, then that's that's an emotional decision. And you've got to try to remove yourself from or try and remove your ego from the the fact that you've you're sitting on a loss, you're yeah. um, you know all those sorts of things, and you say to yourself, okay, if I came to this stock today, what would I do? And the the honest answer with um, Illumina is that I would pass on it. I wouldn't buy it. Um, probably wouldn't necessarily sell it. So in this case, it's got to be a hold for the time being, and then you know reassess it. But the the honest answer is I'm a lot more interested in buying it than mm. what I would be in selling it here purely because it's gone through quite a big correction. I know its assets are quite solid. Um, and, you know, when stocks, when it can't get much worse for a stock from a contrarian perspective, that's when things get pretty interesting. So that would be uh, that would be the, um, yeah, that would be the story on, on that one. Yeah. And that would be my uh, accumulated wisdom of getting lots wrong <laughs> over many years of, of how to how to think about dealing with when to sell, when to buy, all that stuff. Yeah. Well, I think you sort of say, you know, it's um, getting it wrong is part of the game, but I feel like it is sort of um, almost underplayed by a lot of people. It, it is all, it's impossible to get every stock right. It, getting it wrong is inevitable and I think given the fact that it is an inevitable people need to sort of learn what to do once they do get it wrong so they have to figure out well they have to be aware of when they get it wrong and then know yep. when to get out um and I think that was a it's okay to be wrong but not to stay wrong so that's exactly. that's the name exactly. of the game and we've all had those stories where we've stayed wrong for way too long <laughs> and you end up you know um getting out at way bigger loss yeah. than what you wanted to. But it comes down to position sizing. You probably should yep. never be, like for especially for a small speculative stock, you want that mm. to be 1% to 2% of your portfolio. So if it does blow up and if you do hang around for too long, it's not going yeah. to create too much of a problem. Just quickly, what one thing that does 
I always laugh about when uh, you, you listen to um, interviews or read interviews with fund managers and, and someone will prompt them on, um, tell me, tell me a, uh, your story about, you know, one of your worst investments. Yeah. And they'll say something like, um, you know, I picked this 10 bagger and I sold out after it doubled. Yeah, like yeah. that's your worst one, sure. You know, it's 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 hilarious. People always get people get badly. You know, people stuff things up, and it's it's important to acknowledge it. It's important to accept it and say that's a part of investing. And I'm going to try to be better next time and try to minimize. You know, not necessarily minimize the mistakes because you're always going to mm. make them, but minimize the outcome, the negative outcome from those mistakes. And if you can do that, uh, you're gonna you're gonna continue to grow and continue to get better. Yeah, and I think uh, as Howard Mark said, I think the biggest part of investing is almost risk management, risk managing your your losses and investing in such a way that you never really blow your portfolio up. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we said this is going to be a thirty minute episode. It's nearly been an hour, so I think oh, it's geez. it's it's time to wrap it up. But uh, Greg, thank you for your for your years of wisdom and distilling oh, no it. No worries. I've clearly <laughs> talked, talked a lot. I hope, uh, I hope people got something out of it. <laughs> no, I think they, they, they would have. And uh, George, hope your questions were answered. But also if you do have any other questions, uh, leave a comment or tweet at, tweet at Greg. I think yeah, he has a Twitter account. At He's quite G. active. Canavan two. Yep. It, well, yep. I wouldn't say it's very active. <laughs> I sometimes have a love-hate with Twitter like most people do. Um, but yeah, sometimes. X. X as yeah. it's called now. Twitter X, sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks well, with that said, that. um, yep. See you next week. See ya. Bye. See ya. Thanks for joining What's Not Priced In, your weekly source of unique ideas in the Australian stock market. If you've enjoyed this episode, please show your support by following us on your chosen platform and turn those post notifications on so you don't miss a thing. And uh, stay tuned for the upcoming episodes as we delve into new topics, new trends, and new stocks. Thanks for your support. Hope to see you next week.